Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, guys? We've got a very special video for you today with a very special guest. Do you want a hello or just an I'm? We've got a bunch of questions for John today, and we're going to teach you everything you don't know about being a UFC commentator. Good evening and welcome to the very best seats in the house. My name is John Gooden. One of my first ports of call when I get to my station Octagon side for commentary is to ask my stage manager, where is the nearest, and because he's American, restroom, toilet, porta potty, portaloo, whatever it might be. I have the tiniest bladder. I also have a teeny weeny voice compared to my American counterparts, so I have to drink a lot, which means I need to piss a lot. And in order to prep for this, I do like the bleep test. That's part of my fight week lead up to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the sprints down. Can't wear leather soled shoes either. So I will find the nearest spot wherever it may be. And I have had some very interesting looks when the English fellow with a bow tie stood at the urinal next to a fan who's, you know, half cut going, what are you doing? I, when, when you got to go, you got to go. The UFC broadcast is a challenging one. It's a long one. It's highly nuanced and there are no real breaks. Typically, I'll have to surrender a walkout to one of my colleagues and you'll see the fear in their faces if they don't know about that. It's like, Paul, I need the toilet. Can you take this away? And he's like, oh, I've got to do the, the walkout now. So it's, yeah, you, I, I don't like to do it because you're sort of throwing your, your teammates under the bus a little bit, but it's better than me standing there when I've got to do a piece of the camera, pinching my knees and sort of moving around a bit too much. I don't like to eat too much before a UFC event, but one thing you don't want to hear, and I'm going to say this word very carefully, you don't want to hear anyone masticating whilst behind the microphone. Avoid crisps, anything particularly chewy, anything particularly dry, anything that make that the lips smack a little bit. So my go-to is about three bananas. What's more important to me is to get the, the fluids. I'm going to give away a little secret here. There's something called throat coats which is a tea. I'll make sure that I've got a lot of water, throat coats, maybe a couple of lozenges. I'll eat after. <laughs> Probably going to get in trouble for throwing uh, a Hall of Famer, an utter legend under the bus here, but Cormier probably does not adhere to my style and rules of what and what not to eat during a broadcast. Uh, if he's hungry, he'll take whatever's on offer. I think, I, I think I've think i seen him. So this is unfair because I can't remember, but maybe a hot dog. 
I think I've seen him eat actual food. Good for him to get some wholesome grub in, whereas I'm there just devouring like bits of banana as and when I can. I think at this stage, it is, it's a full-time occupation. From my perspective, I'm always looking to try and bring something fresh and new to the broadcast, and it's not necessarily fighter-related. Could be language, could be the way I phrase things. Because it's my job, I'm always watching like the socials and the interviews to, to see what's going. So it'd be hard to quantify, and I think I'd be scared to do so. I've gotten better and more effective in my preparation. I think I used to like two or three weeks out, I'd start asking the UFC for information. That's unfair on them. They do so many shows. The production team is is stretched. They work super hard. I tend to get things about 10 days out. And that's when you'll see me really knuckling down and, and apportioning considerable time into not just the fighter research, which is the bit that is most enjoyable, but it's the script writing. It's looking at the program itself, what the UFC are looking to promote. And that really ramps up in fight week when you get what we call the format or the running order of the show. For me, I want to try my best to speak to every individual athlete. Often there are language barriers and like geographical situations. Obviously, we had the pandemic where it made things a lot more difficult. When I first joined the UFC, I actually got the PR team to set aside some time so that I could speak to people individually. I do a lot of producing work for the UFC as well. So during fight week, I'd be in a similar situation to what we are now asking the fighters those sound bites that you hear with the orange globes behind them where they say tonight I'm going to xyz that's often me that's asking those questions so I, I take stuff from that moment and so I'm constantly looking to mine for information it's all really bloody important and you you can't really spend enough time establishing someone's story because we're the conduit we're the one that's going to try and help the viewers understand what this camp's all about or even the wider story of this athlete I love this sport. I didn't get into this sport to work for the UFC. I didn't get into this sport to be a commentator. I was, I am a martial artist over like 38 years now. I saw the, the trials and tribulations, the pressures, uh, and just the, the lack of any, any recognition really or respect for my coaches when I was on the way up in, in mixed martial arts and I was like this isn't right like these guys are the top of the top when it comes to athletic performance everything that goes into it like it's just crazy that no one knows or respects them the way that I do so let's try and change that so I, I, I hold that very dear it's my job to try and convey that to new fans and also to keep hammering it home to the established fans and then you just got to build layers on that i now work for the premier mma organization in the world so that's a that's a kind of pinch myself moment I, it's 10 years now that i've been with the ufc it blows my mind i love the ufc i love what they've done for this sport i love what they've done for being my family i want to represent them the best that i can i know there are five or six hundred staff and 600 odd fighters that wear the UFC branding proudly. I'd probably go a little bit too far on the pressure that I put on myself as a result, but that's how I see it. And that's what makes me strive to do the very best job that I can to communicate what I feel is the most important aspects of what's ever relevant around that event. When we get behind the mic, it's up to us, really, what we what we say. It's very hard in, in live television. I've never been given any specific things to say. I have, however, been helped out by 
uh, one of our producers, well, many of our producers, but there's one in particular that's got like this unbelievable photographic memory. And he'll just turn around and go, yeah, this guy, whoever it might have been, threw only four leg kicks in the last fight. That's a running total of 20. That's a big difference. You're like, I don't know how you know that. I'm going to use it though, because it makes me sound really good. So I'll definitely take those opportunities. But otherwise, it's um, sadly, it's what in what is in here between these two big ears and in that tiny mind. I'm not sure that I have a, a specific ritual, but I'll I'll typically wake up pretty early, you know, match day nerves and all that kind of stuff. I'll get a breakfast in. If I can work out, I will, but really I'm I'm on the go, still preparing, still researching, refining my notes from eight in the morning on fight day, wherever I might be in the world. I take a bunch of different supplements, like I'm pretty big on the lion's mane, staying hydrated. So just paying attention to a few things there. I will listen to some music while I'm ironing my shirt. Like I like to go through that process of ironing my shirt, listening to a playlist, very UK centric type music, might be a bit of UK garage. Might be some like old school Brit pop. I had that in the last show. That was really good. Listen to a bit of Oasis and Blur, even back to back, which is kind of controversial. Might listen to some uh, kind of meditative stuff to just settle the mind and then get ready to have an awesome broadcast. This is an easy one for me to answer. I was very lucky to grow up with the Cage Warriors promotion when they had the explosion of Irish mixed martial arts. And I remember commentating on Joseph Duffy versus Conor McGregor. In court, Conor McGregor was the boxing coach at SBG at the time, and you could tell he had something about him and looking into his persona a little bit more. He was obviously a big personality. And Joe Duffy was someone that I'd met before, but a true martial artist, highly skilled, really, really nice technique. And yeah, they came clashing together. Yeah, he's got very good control, and he's but he tapped him. That was a very, him. very fast submission there. I'm, I'm not sure McGregor really knows an awful lot about that. Duffy took the win on the night, but after that, through 2010 all the way to 2013, I got to see both Joseph and Conor McGregor like developing their careers. I wasn't there for Conor's debut in the UFC when he fought Brimage, but I was on the call for Brandau, and that was also a bit of a celebration of Irish mixed martial arts. Brandau looks hurt, he's coming the end! He's coming an early stoppage! Another first round for McGregor! This could be it! That is it! It is wow. a round Conor McGregor! It's victorious! The crowd go absolutely wild! Wow! He gets the knockout victory that he was looking for! And for me personally, again, just to reiterate, when... SBG Island and, and Team Ryan O were really developing a lot of their fighters. I was there seeing them earn their stripes as young professionals. To then get to see them really reach the heights that they did as UFC fighters will always be very dear to my heart. And then just to obviously celebrate Conor McGregor's career and what he's achieved. And I met this guy in 2009. I got Facebook messages from the questionnaires that I used to send out to him that date back all that time. It's just blows my mind, really. There's someone who does kind of get me a little jittery, and that is uh, UFC I think, president. I think he's, he's the CEO now, Dana White. 
I have had only a few interactions with Dana. I've been a, a, a dithering mess on a couple of occasions, and I've after I've said a couple of things, I'm like, "What did what did you just say? You absolute fool! You like an a double dickhead in this situation." I saw him in a uh, in, in a at the Palace Station when he was finishing up a fight night. We'd just seen we'd just been off an event, and I was just talking some fights with him, which I'd never done before. We, we were just chatting about a couple of the fights, and that was very very cool. But no, I actually haven't had a, a great deal of interaction with him directly. But of course, Dana signs off on everyone's appearance uh, in front of that lens, so I'm very grateful to him for continuing to give me opportunities to represent the sport with, in my own sort of unique way. I remember when I was trying to like show a few people just what went into a UFC broadcast. I took all of the record cards that we have. They're like a little bit like this. And you write all of your notes on them. But I actually laid them all out on a hotel floor early in my career. And it actually covered the carpet. I've never counted how many reads that we do per se. But I think on Fight Island where we were all having to just pull double, triple duty at time. I think I was live for about nine hours something like that, which is an incredible shift, if I do say so myself. I'm not saying I did a good job, by the way. It was just a long job, and, and I know that Anik and I'm sure Brendan have, have pulled similar numbers as well. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. But it's something that I'm pretty proud of to know that I can uh, I can go that hard for that long. A lot goes into it, and it uh, can be long broadcasts. The crowd should definitely affect the way that you commentate. On Fight Island, we the silence was something that we did use as well and something that we would talk about. So you have to pull on these things. But I was and have been lucky to commentate on Paris uh, at multiple events where we've had incredible crowds. <laughs> Dublin uh, in 2014 and, and we've had a number of them at the O2 Arena where the, the crowd have been incredible and hats off to them. And they become part of the, the the orchestra. So yes, use all of the all of your senses in commentary. Smell, touch, feel, whatever it is. Just try and let that person at home come into the room and uh, get a feeling of what it is that you're feeling but probably more important the fans are feeling as well even if you've got to kind of guess at it it makes it even more kind of tangible and you feel a little little bit more vulnerable and alive when you try and bring those elements to the broadcast we've got a world-class broadcast team for the ufc everyone always round are just fantastic I'm lucky, I guess, in the sense that I get to do the reporter role, I do desk hosting and the commentary, so I've gotten to feel what it's like in each of those positions and a respect for it. And I aim to be like all of those that do it more regularly. And I'll talk about Megan O'Levy, of course. She's just so smooth in that reporter role. And I aim to get close to her performances because she makes it look easy and it really isn't. Like I have fumbled my lines many times trying to, trying to do those backstage uh, hits so I, I still want to strive to be a little bit like her in that regard. But everyone's so strong. But I'd like to shout out the guys that you don't see that are behind the camera, that are in the truck, because those producers go week to week to week. They help us during the broadcast by reminding us of certain things that happened previously, which may add some value to the broadcast. And I don't think they get enough props. I think the UFC is so busy, uh, but they should get awards every single year so i'd like to shout those guys out 
been off the booze for a little while. I actually didn't have a drink for 18 months and then I had I had one drink after my last show in Vegas of 2023 and over the Christmas period I indulged in a couple, saw some friends just sad and I was going real easy. Not like the Johnny G's of old in his 20s. When we do the weigh-in show, some of my colleagues have done it. I'll never forget Dominic Cruz who were in Australia was just going going some of the Modellos and it was a really fun broadcast. They, they are they're really good to, to work on. I couldn't. I've got to be the guy. I feel like I've got to be monitor. Yet to yet to throw back a vodka or Bud Light during a broadcast yet. I don't think anyone's ever had a drink during a a fight night or pay-per-view broadcast. But yeah, the weigh-in show is notorious for getting a little loose. And uh, my good friend Laura Sanko has been known to chuck down a couple beers. Uh, and she can hold her liquor as well. So good luck to her. Yeah, calling fights in the Apex and when we were calling fights in the Flash, was it the Flash Arena in Abu Dhabi during the pandemic? Obviously, there was almost silence. So the Apex does get, you know, d does have an atmosphere, a unique atmosphere to the Apex. It's not 15,000 people, however. So there are moments during a fight where you can hear certain things. And I've, I've been careful in the past, and this was on Fight Island. I think the fight was Darren Till versus Robert Whittaker pretty sure Till went back to his corner and said something had happened to his knee and I was very careful to quietly on the broadcast maybe almost whisper those at home but also whoever I was commentating with at the time. So I'll say this quietly but it seems like there was some communication in the corner of Darren Till possibly some damage to the right leg so look out for that at home. But I don't think that the Whitaker corner knew that and sometimes there's not a lot of distance between. So I didn't want to give a game away. That would have been unfair. Otherwise, I should have just held my tongue. But I, I'm sure I didn't divulge that information so that anyone could hear. But yes, yeah, so I'm aware of it. And uh, again, we like to use these moments to kind of elevate and illuminate a broadcast in whichever way that we can. Typically, after we finish a UFC broadcast and being the international guy, we're, we're on the road. And so everyone's waiting to get their flights home. And I'm wired. Like, I typically don't sleep after a broadcast. I go to bed close to six or seven in the morning. And that's when I start to settle down, which makes for a hellish day the next day. But we'll typically get together. We'll have some drinks, maybe a little bit of food, talk about the fights and then hang out. You know, it's really important to build those relationships in, in whatever team that you work. Of course, we're a team, we're a family at the UFC. So a lot of the broadcast team, the guys that you might not see because they're behind the camera, but probably even more important than some of us that are in front of it. And Paul Felder and I, you know, we hang out quite a lot. Laura comes up, Michael Bisping will, will be there, DC. I'm lucky enough sometimes that I get to pull a role and I'll see another play-by-play -play guy like Brendan or John. So we'll, we'll all get together. It could be in a hotel room, in the bar. They typically shut early. Boo. Or like in Paris, we found a place that was open super late, like four in the morning. And it's really nice to see everyone in their civilian dress. Although I'll maintain a bow tie just to go out in, you know. I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, and important moments to have that social aspect. And, and you know, that's where, that's where you really get deeper relationships with people. So language is something of a, a specialism and something that I'm absolutely obsessed with. And I like to use as many different ways to say things and I'll try and vary it up. But sometimes emotion 
just catches you. And I am quite sweary, believe it or not. I am a potty mouth. When we're in these moments, and I've spoken before about being really, really present, that sometimes means that you forget where you are. And I have had a few oh shit moments, quite literally, where I've nearly said, oh shit. And I think I, think I have had a couple of um, lost in translation moments with my American colleagues where they've, they've got, what did you just say? Did you, and, I, and we've had a misunderstanding on what that word expletive, what they thought they, they heard, but I didn't, but I thought, did I? And then I had that moment where I'm like, oh no, oh, oh no, is this it? Am I, am I gonna get canceled because I said something horrendous? It's something that I'm, uh, I am acutely aware of. Um, but fortunately, I think when I put that, that shirt and tie on and, and put the, the cans on, I, I'm pretty well behaved, he says. I remember getting absolutely destroyed online because in the early days when we were on BT Sport, if someone said crap, bloody ass, or even worse, I'd have to apologise for it. And it was typically like post-fight speech stuff. And it just wasn't a nice way to put a bow on a beautiful performance and go, oh, sorry, viewers, yes, I hope you weren't offended by the language that we use. You know, everyone's really passionate right now. Oh, do we really have to say this? Yes, we have to say this because there'll be heavy fines by Ofcom, etc. That doesn't happen anymore, weirdly. And then I've heard Felder say pissed. And as a Brit, that's a sweary. I think we can use pissed, but I'm still a bit nervous about it. He's also said ass. He doesn't say ass. He says ass. And I think I might have said ass before. Again, in English parlance, we can't say that without getting sent to our room and grounded for a couple of days. So I'm a little bit nervous about what you can say as a Brit and as an American. I try and just keep it down the line. But um, yeah, I'd love to be able to swear a little bit more. That would make things uh, even more colourful. So I'm John Gooden, and hopefully I have debunked some myths about MMA commentary.